Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Revelation. Yeah, let's do this. Revelation chapter 7. If you need a Bible, there's some on the back table. Continue our study. This is a, this is a, what's the right word? This is a uh, more encouraging chapter tonight than uh, Revelation 6. Uh, I didn't want to say better. That does, that's not right. Um, but certainly when you come to a chapter like Revelation 7, and, and I think this is part of what God has done here. Certainly in Revelation, He gives us understanding. These are things that are revealed, but He gives us these parenthetical chapters that I think are welcomed relief in the midst of great difficulty. And, uh, and I think you'll, you'll see why here. And so uh, Revelation 7, uh, chap- uh, verse 1, excuse me, is where we'll be picking up tonight. Just real quick before I forget, um, more Calvary magazines back there. These are important. Take those. Um, the, the stack is dwindling. It's good. I think there's more out on the Connect board. This is a way to stay in tune with things that are happening throughout the Calvary Chapel movement worldwide. And so it's good stuff. Take it, look through it, and then pass it on to somebody else. And then uh, still opportunity to sign up for the conference this weekend. Um, it's Friday night and Saturday. Uh, Aiken is close enough. You can go there and come back and go back again on Saturday if you want, or you could stay over, um, or you can just go on Saturday if you'd like, or if you want to watch it on the live stream, you can register. They do ask that you pay for it, uh, and then they'll send you a link to watch it uh, live if you would like to do that. Um, but going to be a great lineup there. In particular, I think I mentioned this maybe last Wednesday, but uh, Patty Height, Out of Egypt Ministries, um, she has an incredible testimony. Um, she's a great speaker as well, and what she has to share I think is really valuable uh, insight into the LGBTQ plus community. Um, And so she shares from one who lived that lifestyle, came out of that lifestyle, and um, just pretty incredible what she has to share and very excited to to spend some time with her on uh, this weekend and and hear what she has to say. So I would encourage you to take part in that if you've uh, got the available time to do so. All right. Chapter 7. I mentioned this already. This is what is known as a parenthetical chapter. It's this chapter that sort of, it's almost like we're we're going along in in chapter 6, for example, and we see the seals being opened, and we get through six seals, and it's as if God sort of presses the pause button for a moment and says, uh, let's take a step back and let's look at some other things that are happening to gain further insight into this time. And so what we have here in chapter 7 is this break between the sixth seal being opened and the seventh seal. And so chapter 7 helps to complement our understanding by giving us deeper insight into what is happening during the time of the Great Tribulation. So this is... Um, uh, it gives us a little bit of uh, some insight into other events that are happening during this time. And in chapter 7, <clears throat> we see two visions here. And they're, they're split into, uh, you have verses 1 through 8, and then you have verses 9 through 17 are these two different visions that uh, John is seeing, things that he's observing in the throne room of heaven. 
And the chapter here really answers for us the question that we began to consider at the end of chapter 6 and verse 17. Um, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And so this chapter helps to answer more of that question for us. And who is able to stand? The answer comes for us in this chapter, specifically verse 2. We'll see here, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. This angel is a good news angel, okay? What this angel is, this angel that's coming forth here um, is, is bringing really evidence of God's mercy during a very terrible time. And um, so what we see here is that in chapter 6, we see the lost seeking to flee the wrath of the Lamb. They want to get away from the Lamb and the wrath of the Lamb. And here in chapter 7, we see that there are the sealed who are entering into their glory, answering that question, who can stand? It's those who trust in Jesus, who are able to stand. Amen? This is what we need to understand. Who can stand in this end time? Those who have trusted in Jesus. Those who have the seal of the Lord upon them. And so... We considered some of these verses last week, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand. 1 Peter 5, 12, testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. The question was asked at the end of service last Wednesday, a good question by Shauna, how do we know? Right? How do we know that we're, what we're standing upon? How do we know that we're standing on truth? I don't know if it was exactly asked that way. Um, go watch the Q&A from this week. We dealt with this at length. Okay, So on Tuesday's Q&A, it's posted up there on YouTube as they all are. We, we delved into that for a while and talked about how do we have the assurance of our salvation? How do we, how do we know? How can we be confident? Um, that's one of the blessings of salvation is that we can know, we can be confident that um, I trust in Jesus, my salvation is sure, my eternal, my eternity is secure in Him. And so we see here that those are the ones who are able to stand. It's those who have trusted in Jesus. So here in chapter 7, we learn then of those who will stand during this time through the grace of our God and Father. Those who will be sealed, they're going to be marked and able to endure this time. And those who will be martyred during the tribulation for their faith, that's who we're going to be dealing with in this chapter. And so the church is already in the throne room of heaven. And what we're going to see here now is those who come to faith in Christ even during the time of the tribulation. So chapter 7 allows us to see that there will in fact be an opportunity for individuals to be saved during the tribulation and there will be believers on earth. That was a question that was asked last week as well. Um, Not only will there be many after the rapture 
who have a very immediate understanding of what has happened. They've probably been in the church. They've heard of these things. They've learned about these things, but they never surrendered their life to Christ. The rapture happens. Christians are gone. Such individuals will have a very quick understanding. I know what this is, and man, I wasn't saved. I'd never really surrendered my life to Christ. Hopefully many of those individuals will then, because they know what has happened, they're going to say, man, I want Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. And they will be numbered amongst those if they give their life to Christ of those who will uh, be believers during the time of the tribulation. Some will endure through that time. Some will be martyred. And we see evidence of that here in chapter 7. And so um, what we see also here, what this really communicates to us is that God is merciful. God desires that none should perish. Until the very end, God is giving opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what he desires. And so we see here then in verse 1, John writes, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. So after the opening of the six seals, we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse as they're referred to. We see deception, war, famine, and death have come upon the earth. And now, after all of those events, John observes four angels standing at what he says are the four corners of the earth. Now some say, some use this particular verse and they go, see, this is why you can't take the Bible seriously because everybody knows that the earth is round. It's a, it's a sphere, it's a globe, right? It's not flat, we've gotten past that. And so people want to take verses like this and go, yep, see, there you go, can't trust the Bible. And... Uh, the wrong, okay? You can trust the Bible. The word for corners in Hebrew here is the word kanaf. It generally means extremities. And corners is also an acceptable uh, translation for it. And uh, when John is referring to the four corners of the earth here, he, it, it's, it's acceptable because he's referring to it in somewhat of a sense of the corners of a compass. He's referring to it in terms of borders, north, south, east, west. Uh, this is still used today, even in the military, you might have some terminology. And so um, this is, it's not, it's not wrong. This, he's not using scientific language here. Um, when anybody suggests such things to them, ask them what time is the sunrise tomorrow. And when they answer you, you can go, ha, the sun doesn't actually rise. So I must not be able to trust you, right? I mean, it's that easy. And they go, oh, Oh, okay, I guess we got a point there, right? <clears throat> They're not going to walk around going, when exactly does the earth do its full orbit around? No, we say sunrise. Um, or whatever that is, I don't know, I don't, like, I don't do science, okay? Um, is it an orbit, is it a rotation, is it a rotation and an orbit? We just, it's the sun has risen, praise the Lord. Um, verse 2, then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, so this is awesome here, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. So, he, so this angel comes and he's crying out now to the other angels who had the authority to unleash judgment. And this angel says, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, 
till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Praise the Lord. So here what we see then is another angel comes to the scene to interrupt and to hold back the four angels there to unleash judgment on the earth. Why? Because God wants to separate the servants that are here on this earth. He wants to preserve all that He can preserve. And so what we see here then specifically is a portion that will serve as a witness and a remnant on the earth. And so now here God is ushering more into the kingdom, more who are choosing to live for Him. And this angel has a seal, and apparently then these servants, these believers, will take a seal on their forehead. They will be marked. And this has happened throughout time. There are examples throughout history when some have been in various cultures actually marked for a specific purpose, sometimes good, sometimes bad, either to preserve their life or to set them aside as an outcast, whatever. It's not an uncommon thing to, to, to take a marking that signifies sort of who you are or what uh, group you're a part of. But then even in terms of God's sealing and approval on somebody, think of uh, uh, Noah in his family. They were preserved. God preserved them, right? He set them apart. Rahab uh, and and, um, Jericho are the nation of Israel with the blood on their doorposts, right? As the angel of death passed over them. There have been various ways throughout history where God has supernaturally preserved a people from harm. And uh, we see examples of Uh, the seal of God in the lives of his children throughout history. And I think that we can be confident too that that those who believe in Jesus Christ possess the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit serves as a seal of our salvation, a guarantee of our inheritance, of our eternity. Now can bad things happen to good people? Yes, but what God possesses, what we must understand, no man or thing can take. It's appointed a man once to die and then the judgment. We are his. Do you understand that, Christian? We are his. Gordon Fee writes, the seal in this case is the stamp of divine ownership. He owns you. Talked about this on Sunday. Our lives are not our own. When we surrender them to Christ, we say, My life is yours. And the Holy Spirit that comes and indwells a believer and, 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 and serves as a seal and says, You're mine. So our lives are not our own, but that's a wonderful thing because they are then entrusted into the sovereign care of the Creator God of the universe who loves you. To remember that we are owned by the one who owns it all. That's awesome. You gave testimony, Melissa, to God's provision. And and He's so faithful. He does that. Listen, every one of us here, I trust, would be able to testify to an element of God's provision in their lives. He cares for you. How many times? Things that are repeated in Scripture are repeated for a reason, right? Right? Because we need to, most often because we need to learn it. What, what types of things do we often see repeated in Scripture more so than others? Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Right? Over and over again we're reminded because He wants us to understand, I, I, I've got this. 
Jesus himself said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof. He says, just focus on today. We're reminded that that, uh, the, the simplest bird amongst millions of birds won't fall to its death without the Creator God of the universe knowing. How much more does He care about you? The glory of His creation. Guys, our lives are in His hands. And so the seal is the stamp of divine ownership and authenticity. Some of us are familiar with with stamps or seals of authenticity. Rick, who's one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game? Yes, there it is, Peyton Manning. Good call. I've got a Peyton Manning picture at home. It's in Eli's room next to a Peyton Manning jersey. It's got, a, it's got his signature on there and a seal that tells us it's authentic. It's really Peyton's signature on there. It's not a fake, right? We understand what these things are. So You said, Tebow, you have something signed by Tebow. I know you do. Okay, there we go. Yep, there you go. <clears throat> God's putting his stamp on you. Do you know that? He says, I own you, and this is authentic. It's not a fake. You're mine. And I love, and we saw this in the letters to the churches, there, uh, in the end of time, he will confess us by name. He'll declare your name. He's, He's mine. How exciting is that going to be to hear our names declared, proclaimed by our Savior? And so then, it functions, His stamp on us functions as a divine commitment that God's own people will not experience the divine wrath when it's poured out. They're not intended for wrath. They've got my stamp. Now, this stamp, this mark, is different. If this is one of your first times going through Revelation, if you're not that familiar with Revelation, there's certain things in Revelation we often hear about, one of them being the mark of the beast. Different mark, okay? Very different mark. We're going to see that later in chapter 13. Um, We'll see the mark of the beast. And we'll see later in chapter 14, this seal will come up again and we'll get a little bit more insight. In chapter 14, I think it's in verse 1, it will say that the seal that goes on their foreheads is the name of the Father written upon them. So this seal that goes, this stamp, this divine ownership is His name across our foreheads. How cool is that? You're thinking right now, it's not, we don't, don't typically get forehead tattoos, right? And it's a little like, eh, maybe avoid the forehead. <clears throat> it's because it's, it's prime billboard space for his name later on, amen? And for some of us, there's more and more billboards showing up too. <laughs> My balding friends in the, they're like, yeah, yeah listen, it's, I, I've said this before. I go back and I look at pictures from high school and I'm thinking like, what? I look at it and I'm like, wait a second. My hair was like here. Where did it? And now you're like, oh, oh no, it's, it's going back. So anyhow, plenty of, maybe in our glorified state too, you know, I don't know how all that's going to work. But 
Is it all Jesus? Are we all going to be like long flowing locks? <laughs> he says, yeah. I look ridiculous with long hair, so something else is going to have to change. I don't know. Um, I mean, so this he puts his name on us. And, and, and this too shouldn't be lost on us, that there are times when it's like, I don't want to put my name on that. Have you ever felt like you didn't want your name on something? You're like, I don't. I don't want it. As, I had to call a guy one time. I ended up on a, on a list, and it ran in the newspaper that I was supportive of something. And I saw it, and I was like, whoa! And I had to call, and I'm like, I need, I need something done about this. I did not give approval for my name to be on that. And the guy was like, I don't think it's that big a deal. Nobody's going to see it. I'm like, no, that's my name. I did not give you permission to put my name there. And God, the Father, the creator of the universe, is he going to put his name on you? This is awesome. And, and so from here then, John says, he begins to hear something. So this angel comes and says, hold it. And you've got these four angels, they're ready, they're ready to go. Their job, and angels are about doing their job, they're ready to unleash more devastation onto the earth. And this other angel with the seal says, hold it. Not yet. And John hears the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Verse 5, of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. That's kind of crazy because some people, they look at this, they read this, and they say, well, who are these people? And I look at this and I say, well, these are the tribes of the children of Israel. And some people have said, nope, not the tri- nope, that's not who it is. Right? And some people say, well, we shouldn't be dogmatic on this. And, 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 and maybe, maybe that's true, but I look at this and I say, the word is clear. This is, the, this is Israel. God has made a covenant with His people Israel, and, and when God makes a covenant, He maintains that covenant. I think it's quite clear that these are Jewish believers. These are, these are Israel. These are, the, these are those who we can look at and thank. If you're a Gentile here, that you can say, thank you. Because we see that Paul says of his brethren that they were cursed for our sakes, blinded for our sakes, that the gospel would turn forth to the Gentiles. But God is faithful with his people. And so these are Jewish believers. I believe these are Jewish believers who are saved and sealed, and they are included with the multitude that we will see shortly. 144,000, and they come from the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what the word says. I don't think there's any reason to take this figuratively. You've got Seventh-day Adventists who have sort of co-opted this and said these are specifically those who practice the Sabbath on 
the actual Sabbath. This isn't necessarily Israel. This is just people who have held to Sabbath rules. Uh, you have Jehovah's Witness who are saying these are, these are Jehovah's Witnesses. These are specifically that um, uh, religion. Um, you, and then you have even in, in, in that, I look at that and I go, okay, well, you know, that's, um, that's not Christianity, uh, Jehovah's Witness. And so, okay, fine, people look at this stuff and they, they, they try and say that it's something that it's not. It's, what's, what's most sad to me is when you have the church believers who look at this and they say this is just the church. And, and, and what's happened there is that uh, this belief that has uh, become common in many circles and denominations, it's referred to as replacement theology, and that the church has replaced the nation of Israel. No less than 29 times in the Bible are the tribes of Israel listed out and never is the church referred to as Israel, only the nation of Israel. Clarence H. Wagner writes of 15 different things that he says happens when the church replaces Israel, when we believe or we ascribe to this doctrine. When the church replaces Israel, he says the church becomes arrogant and self-centered. It boasts against the Jews and Israel. It devalues the role of Israel or has no role for Israel at all. It says these attitudes result in anti-Semitism in word and in deed. Verse, uh, number five, he says, without a place for Israel and the Jewish people today, you cannot explain the Bible prophecies, especially the very specific ones being fulfilled in Israel today. Uh, he says, many New Testament passages do not make sense when the Jewish people are replaced by the church. He says, you can lose the significance of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament for today. Many Christians boast of being a New Testament Christian or a New Testament church, as in the book of Acts. However, the Bible of the early church was not the New Testament it did not get codified until the 4th century, but rather it was the Hebrew Scriptures, which had, of course, great emphasis on Israel. He says you can lose the Hebraic or Judaic contextualization of the New Testament, which teaches us more about Yeshua and how to become better disciples. And finally, he says the church loses out on the opportunity to participate in God's plan and prophecy for the church. Israel in the world today. But he says, what happens when the church relates to Israel? What happens when we uphold God's covenant with His people Israel? The church takes its proper role in God's redemptive plan for the world. Appreciating God's ongoing covenant relationship and love for Israel and the Jewish people. He says we can see the consistency of God's redemptive plan from Genesis to Revelation as an ongoing complementary process, not as disconnected snapshots. He says, we show love and honor for God's covenant people, not contempt. We value the Old and New Testaments as equally inspired and significant for the church today. He says, Bible prophecy makes sense for today and offers opportunities for involvement in God's plan for Israel. And finally, we become better disciples of Jesus as we are able to appreciate the Hebrew and Jewish roots that fill in the definitions, concepts, words, and events in the New Testament that are otherwise obscured. He says, why is this the case? Many were not explained by the Jewish writers of the New Testament because they did not feel the need to fill in all the details that were already explained in the Old Testament. They valued it. They didn't suggest that it was done away with. It's important to say that at Calvary Northeast, we stand firmly in support of Israel. Not that Israel's perfect, not that Israel never does anything wrong today under various leaders. But we do believe that Israel plays a key role in the end times, that God's covenant with them remains, that we've been grafted into this relationship, 
and that we will see many in Israel, many Jewish people, praise God, come to saving faith in Jesus uh, before and in this time. Now, as we look at this, though, as we look at these tribes listed out, there are some people who look at this, and again, this is where some of these thoughts have come from, and they take issue. They say there's some strange things about what we see here in the list of the 12 tribes. Those of you that maybe are more familiar, I'm just curious, does anybody know when they, when they read through this, when they read of these 12 tribes here, does anything stand out? Yes. They're not in the normal order, right? What else? Joseph's in there, yep. We see one more. Anything? The, the, the first thing that people point out typically is that Judah appears first, so the order. Um, Joseph's in there, which kind of by uh, extension of that or kind of the same maybe question is Ephraim is not included. Dan's not included here. And then Levi is. Levi is included. Okay. How do we deal with this? Um, Daniel Aiken, um, he's written a fairly extensive commentary on Revelation, and he addresses this in much more detail. I would summarize here these specific points because they do come up often. First, it's believed and in, in, in not necessarily wrong that Judah is listed first because why? Lineage of Jesus, right? There's a priority now. We're focused more so on the Lamb of God in this and uh, he is listed first because Jesus comes through or from the tribe of Judah. Levi, while he's not often included in an Old Testament setting because he served as they were the priestly tribe, and so they weren't mentioned the same way because they didn't have land. But here we're not dealing with land. We're dealing with sealing unto salvation, right? So Levi is mentioned here because of his service he is, his tribe does that. There are believers from his tribe that are going to be in eternity. Uh, Ephraim could be excluded for issues of idolatry. We see this in the Old Testament. Or we could just assume that he's counted by mention of Joseph, that Joseph is the one that is mentioned here. And then Dan, Dan is probably absent because of what we see in Genesis 49 specifically, where it calls out Dan's sin, that Dan was a serpent, he was a wayward uh, man. And so we know that throughout history there was incredible idolatry on the part of Dan. And while this is an extra-biblical text, Irenaeus um, put forth that the Antichrist would in fact come from the tribe of Dan. Uh, And if in fact that's true, then... um, and maybe it is good reason why he's not listed here. Um, and so again, this conversation, this debate is why people say, look, let's not be overly dogmatic about this. We can debate these different things, as many do, but uh, there's, very, um, there's good justification for it. And especially when we see this written the way that it is in Revelation, quite clearly, the tribes of Israel, uh, it would be, in my opinion, better to look at this and to say we're going to accept it as it is. Uh, And what this also does then for us is it reinforces this idea that God is faithful. That God is, is faithful not only to his covenant with Israel, 
uh, but that he's, he's merciful. He desires, again, that none should perish. And, and he will see those who are his, he'll see them through to the end. Right? So the, the whole act here of, of sealing these individuals is about ensuring, look, we, I'm going to care for them. They're not appointed to wrath. That should be an encouragement to us. And so verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So here in verse 9, we have the second vision. This is the second part of the chapter. John says, after these things. So now he's turning his attention now to something else. And he's looking now to this great multitude that he sees in the throne room of heaven. And notice here, the multitude is standing. They're standing before God. Who can stand? The redeemed can stand. If you recall before, this is earlier on, several chapters ago, we had the description of the number of angels that John saw. And he said that, uh, and and I paraphrase here, but John basically said of the angels that he saw in the throne room of heaven when he first got there, was, uh, it was basically the biggest number times the biggest number times a thousand. We get this equation that John gives us, and it's intended to, really, there's, he's trying to capture that, that there is a significant multitude, but he actually gives us some numbers to go along with it, not that he counted, but here, it's interesting because he says, you can't number this. So now he's, he's saying even beyond a big number times a big number times a thousand, he's saying, I, I don't even know, I don't even know what to tell you about how many are here, which again then gives us insight into and, 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 and should cause for us to become hopeful about those who will be saved during this time. And, um, and so here he says that, that this, is, this is a lot of people, a group that no one could number, and, and they represent a multitude of nations, of tribes, of peoples, and tongues that are standing before the throne and the Lamb. And so what we have here is just an incredible uh, picture of the diversity of the throne room of heaven, which is such an awesome thing to see, especially when we continue to experience and see Uh, such issue with ethnic reconciliation here on earth and we can know that man there is going to come a time when this is reconciled and so and, and, and what a wonderful thing the international mission board the imb in 2014 recognized 11,243 people groups in the world 11,243 people groups in the world. If anybody ever has the opportunity to go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., it is worth the trip. I really would love, and if somebody wants to work on planning this, let's charter a bus and let's go. Um, let's go up to D.C., let's do a little church trip and, uh, and go to the Capitol, do some fun things, and go to the Museum of the Bible. It's awesome. It's so cool. But, I, I mean, 
guess I am a pastor. So maybe that's like, well, yeah, I geek out on things like that, right? Um, but there's one particular room, and it's, it's the room that's dedicated to, to the uh, awareness of Bible translation work to reach the nations. And they've got it all broken out. They've got a Bible that's representative of, uh, of these 11,243 people groups, and then they've got it color-coded by, do they have the full Bible and in people's hands? Do they have just a portion of it? And then which ones are yet to be completed? And I think in 2014, it was a little over like 3,000 people groups that they still had yet to get a Bible translated into that language and reach those people. And when you see it on display, it does, it does cause you to go like, wow, there's, been a, there's a lot of good work that's been done, but man, there's still some work to do. And, um, and there's so many other things at the museum there too. It's just awesome. In my opinion... Here in the throne room of heaven, we've got 11,243 people groups represented there. Um, and, I, and I believe that because I think that's God's heart. And, and I see here that John says all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I don't know how many people from each of those tribe, tongue, nation. But I prefer to remain optimistic that in fact, that is who's going to be represented there. All, uh, all representatives from, from everyone. And they're here participating in what has to be one of the most amazing worship services that's ever going to happen. And they're in robes. They're in white robes. And they're crying out to God. They're crying out to God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. What are they saying? Verses 11 and 12. All the angels stood around the throne. Or excuse me. They were saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So they're declaring who He is, whose salvation belongs to. It's you. God, you've done this. Notice what they're not saying here. They're not in the throne room of heaven saying, we did this. We, 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 we did this work and this work and this work. We went to, we went to confession at this frequency and we prayed, we prayed this prayer regularly. We served this person regularly and we tithed this much regularly and we did this good deed and this good deed and this good deed. And so praise be to us we made it. That's not what they say. They say salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne into the Lamb. In this moment, they're just saying, this is you, God. You did this. You made a way. And then, verse 11 and 12, all the angels standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, so they're still there, they all fall on their faces before the throne, and they worship God, saying, Amen. They're in agreement. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So these, this multitude of believers that have now shown up that are saying, You did this, God. This is all praise to You. And then everybody else that's in there is like, Yeah! Amen! And they can't help now to worship again and fall on their faces and say, Absolutely, they're right. 
And then, so they're joining in and saying, blessing and glory and wisdom, that's you, God. Thanksgiving, honor, power, might, it's all you. Be to our God forever and ever. I mean, this is, this, this is now this sort of the, we're, we're nearing the, the crescendo here where it's like we're about to usher in all of eternity and this is just becoming an increasingly glorious moment. And then, this is fun, one of the elders answered, saying to me, John says he answered. And the funny thing is, we go, John didn't ask a question. We don't get a sense at least that John asked a question. He's recording a lot of things and he doesn't say, I went to this elder and I said, hey, he's, this guy comes over to him and says, and he answered, who are these? And he answered with a question. Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And so he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so again, this is an interesting exchange as one of the elders here speaks to John and and says he answers him. Yet John doesn't ask a question, and I don't think John did. Now, he absolutely could have. This is pure speculation. But I don't think John did. I don't think John asked a question. You ever been in a situation maybe where uh, you were observing somebody who was observing something fantastic and you were excited by it and you're like, pretty awesome, isn't it? Right? Like when we took our kids for the very first time to Disney and they walked into the Magic Kingdom and they were little kids at the time, right? And we were just so excited for them. to, And they come in and they're just like, and we could tell that they were just entirely overwhelmed. Like, we're here. This is it. We've seen this, and now, but now we're here. And they didn't ask a question, but I knew there was all sorts of questions in their mind and observations in their mind. And in my opinion, just mine, I think that here the, the elders is, is just looking at John, taking all of this in, and he comes up to him and he says, who's this? Because he knows probably that for John too, he's thinking, he's like, he's probably thinking in his own mind, he's maybe asking this question, he's thinking, I don't, who are all these people? And so then of course John is like, well, you've got to know. I don't know. You have to know, right? So he sort of throws the ball back at, at, this, at, at this elder and, uh, and he says, you have to know. I don't know. And then he tells him, these are the martyrs. The ones who have come out of the great tribulation, they're washed by the blood of the Lamb. And they're standing there in the throne room of heaven where the church is already present while the tribulation is happening and it's coming now to the point of, of they're nearing now the, the point of the great tribulation, the, 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 the fullness of God's wrath being poured out. And he says here they've been made clean. Their robes white by the blood of the Lamb. As I mentioned earlier, like this is a paradox, right? How can, how can red blood make a white robe clean? In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes in 9.22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. Romans 3.25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Ephesians 1.7, in Him we have redemption through His blood. 
the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, Colossians 1.20, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross over and over from the very beginning of time. God has given us His pattern for salvation, for redemption, and it's in the blood. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Verse 15 through 17, Therefore, therefore, because of this, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. He's saying because of what God has done, because here they are now, they're washed. And they, and they have declared, God, you have done this. They know what they've been taken out of. They know what they've been spared from. Because of these things, they're before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. You see, they, they've come to the right conclusion that because of what God has done, the only thing the only right response, the only thing that makes sense is to worship Him. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. And they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, here in, in chapter 7, this is, it, this is addressing the great multitude that's there, and we're going to see very similar language show up again in Revelation uh, 21. And so what we'll see here is that these are the blessings that are shared by those who are redeemed. And so these are, for you, Christian, these are the same blessings that you'll experience. Daniel Aiken again writes, For all of eternity, it will be our delightful and joyful privilege to serve in the worship of Him who saved us by washing us clean in His blood. It will be our delightful and joyful privilege to serve Him for all of eternity. Monday with my Bible class at Grace. And I asked him, I said, uh, maybe it was Friday, it must have been Friday. I said, uh, how many of you are excited about heaven? And I stopped, I said, don't answer yet. I said, I want you to be honest with me. I want you to base it on your understanding of what heaven is like and be totally honest with me, no judgment here, how many of you are excited? I had about two hands go up. And I said, okay, I need one brave person to tell me why you're not excited. And I had one. And they said, it sounds kind of boring. <laughs> and I said, good answer, that's what I was looking for. Why does it sound boring? Well... You could tell they were so uncomfortable. I'm like, this is okay. It's okay. You're not going to hell for this, okay? Okay, are you sure? Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't feel like I like singing that much. 
And it just sounds really weird to sing in this big room forever. <laughs> and I'm like, good point. And they're like, is that bad? And I said, I think that sounds boring too. And they were like, <gasps> you're a pastor. You're the Bible teacher. You think that sounds boring? And I was like, kind of. And I'm like, look, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, our hearts are going to be changed too. But I said, would it make you more excited to know that it's not just about that? Really? <laughs> and so I bring that up now because we're not going to get there tonight, but we will get there in our study of Revelation. God has so much in store for us. And rest assured, this experience in the throne room of heaven is not going to be boring. But we're not also destined for eternity to simply remain here in this throne room of heaven, simply bowing down and then getting up and then bowing down again and then getting up and bowing down and getting up. That's going to be the natural response to all that God has done and is doing in this moment of time. We are going to worship Him. Rest assured, you're not going to be thinking about anything else. You're going to be absolutely blown away by just the experience of worshiping together with such a great multitude of people who are proclaiming, Jesus, You are the One. You've done it all. But because God is so gracious, because He has so much more for us than what we can even begin to ask or to think or to imagine, He's going to say, look, I've got so much for you. This is the period where we are kept from the wrath of God. This is a seven-year period that, in my opinion, is going to be, boom, gone, over with so quickly. And then He's going to say, it's time to go. And we're going to say, where are we going? And he's like, oh, it's on. It's time to put an end to this. And so he's going to go in his glorious second coming, and his church is going to come with him, and then we're going to have the battle of Armageddon, and then that's going to be accomplished very quickly. It's not going to be much of a battle, in my opinion. He's going to make quick work of it. And then he's going to usher in his millennial reign, a thousand-year period of time, where he's going to say, hey, church, you're going to rule and reign with me. And, and, and those who have come through the time of the tribulation will then experience many of them being Jewish, and, and Israel will then experience the fullness of occupying the land that God had given them for a period of a thousand years under a perfect rule. Can you imagine that? And then when all that is said and done, Satan's going to be loose for a period of time, but then he's going to be cast away forever. Then will come the final judgment, and then a new heaven and a new earth. And things that are truly, and we get a little bit of insight into it from John, praise God. But, but it's still stuff that's beyond our understanding. But he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. And all of this, through all this time, he's going to be with us. And yes, will we be serving him all the time? You, you bet we will. Will we be worshiping all the time? You bet we will. But that's going to be our life. It's going to be woven into every bit of who we are and what we're doing. Right? He's going to redeem even aspects of, of what's happened and what we've done as believers in the earth to this point. He's going to continue the way that He's created us and He's given you personality and creativity and the ability to do different things. Imagine what that's going to be like when it's fully redeemed and glorified. How He's going to use that. And so we will live and we will play and we will eat and we will do all these things that just float on a cloud and sing. Right? And you better believe, man, my students are more and more like, okay, now we're tracking. Now we're getting somewhere. Sign me up for that, right? He's got so much for us. But here in this moment, yes, 
what we see is that the response of the redeemed is, is all we want is you. All we want is you. And what he tells us of our blessings day and night he'll dwell among us. Guys, this has been, we talked about this recently, this has been his aim from the very beginning. God has wanted from the very beginning of time to be with you. That's what he's always wanted. There in the garden and in creation with Adam and Eve, and he was there with them every day as he walked with them in the cool of the, of the garden, of the cool of the day. Well, sin disrupted that, but ever since then, it has, it has been all about pursuing you, to be with you. Even when we were far away, even when, when they were there in the wilderness and they were afraid to go near, he said, okay, I'll come down, I'll be amongst you. And so it really in the original language here, in the Greek language, this idea of dwelling among them harkens back to the tabernacle and, and a covering to say, I will, I will be with you. I'll go before you. I'll come behind you. I, I'm going to be, my presence is going to be with you. The only thing is, is from, from, from that point forward, it was just like, you can't handle all of me. You just can't handle all of me. Because of sin, because of your fallen nature, I've got to protect you from all of me. But when we're in glory, when we finally arrive at this point, he says, oh, you're getting all of me now. And he's going to overwhelm you. No more hunger. No more thirst, no more exposure for them. They, they had experienced the, some of the difficulties of the tribulation. We're never going to be without His very real presence again. We will know His full presence, His full protection. And here we see at one point, you know, the, the, the lion becomes a lamb, and here we see the, lion, the lamb becomes a shepherd. He leads us and guides us. It should cause us to think to Psalm 23. And it says he'll wipe away every tear. This is an interesting one. We quote it often, right? A lot of people are familiar with this. It's an encouragement. It should be. Hey, this idea that someday no more sadness anymore. But a lot of times people go, wait a second. How can a place with no sadness, how can there be a place with no sadness? And, and then we wonder though, but, but how can I, I be there and know that others are not there and not be sad, Right? Well, we're going to see this again in chapter 21. It's going to be said again, and very similarly, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And we'll start to close on this. In my opinion, what we see here is that at least momentarily, there are some tears. The very fact that he's wiping away tears from our eyes, to me, means that there are some tears to wipe away. Why is that important? Because I think in this moment, yes, there are tears, maybe tears of joy, maybe also tears of sadness, that then as He provides perfect understanding, as He gives us insight into His perfect plan, as we come to a fullness of understanding and now truly able to just in every way, shape, or form trust all of who He, who he is and what He's done and what He's going to do, that in that work that's accomplished, He wipes away those tears, that we come to a place of fullness of joy. Let's close tonight on Psalm 16. Read this along with me. Be 
Preserve me, O God, this is Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me Excuse me, I lost my spot. Thank you. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence. Is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. What that tells me is that, and yes, do we have his presence today? Absolutely. But I believe that when we experience his presence in the fullness that we will in that time, that we will experience joy that is beyond what we have ever even encountered. And that yes, perhaps momentarily there is a sense of, of trying to, to, to make sense of all these things, but as we experience His presence, it will all be okay. We will have full understanding and we will experience the fullness of joy as He wipes that tear away. This is what's in store. And it's all because of the blood of the Lamb. That's what's made away. His sacrifice. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time together this evening. Lord, as we endeavor to continue to just, uh, Lord, study your word. We allow it by the Spirit, Lord, to pierce our hearts and our minds. Lord, we just pray for understanding. Pray that you would continue, Lord, to um, give us a hunger, love for your word, the things of you. And, um, and Lord, just increase our understanding of these things, Lord. Um, I think it's evident we are living in the last days, but Lord, we, we, don't, we don't know how long you should still tarry. But Lord, we want to understand what you have for us. And uh, we just ask that you'd continue to go before us, Lord. Provide that understanding. Um, and again, Lord, just give us a passion for your word and uh, draw us near to you, Lord, we pray. Cause us, Lord, to walk in obedience to you each day. Uh, bless this fellowship. Bless, bless each of these here, Lord, tonight as they follow after you, Lord. Go before us and lead us as our good shepherd, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure that you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit our website at ccnortheast.org.